tears. Most of the boys ended up in the General Hitler Youth. Others had been assigned the Sea Corps or the Air Corps or the popular Motor Corps, where you learn to ride motorcycles. I scanned the lists for my name, and there it was. O'Shaughnessy, Michael, Streifendienst, the SRD, the Junior Gestapo. I made it. I found Fritz on the outskirts of the crowd. My heart sank. There were tears in his bruise-rimmed eyes. No, don't tell me you didn't make it, I said. Fritz smiled through his tears. I did. I made it. I can't believe it. He was so happy he was crying. You made it too, didn't you? I knew you would. Why? Just because I conquered the courage test? No, because you showed them you could be ruthless. My skin grew cold as I thought again about the beatdown I'd given Fritz in the boxing test. You're the reason I got in too, Fritz told me. How do you figure that? Because, said Fritz, you helped me show them that I'm not afraid to die for Germany. Come on, let's go back to my house and celebrate. I shook my head as I followed him home. Fritz wasn't as crazy as the rest of the boys. He was crazier. We got to Fritz's door. Hidden somewhere behind that door were the secret jet plans that could win the war, change the world. That door had always been closed to me, but now Fritz was slipping his key in the lock, opening the door, beckoning me inside. And just like that, I was in. I felt goosebumps as I stepped over the threshold. It was the first step in what was no doubt going to be weeks and weeks of trying to find the hidden plans, but it still gave me a thrill. Now it was time to be a spy. Fritz lived well. The house had two floors, with rooms on the first floor on each side, separated by a long hallway that led back to the kitchen. A staircase ran up one side of the hallway to the second floor. I memorized the layout, began breaking it down into sections to search on different days. Come on, Fritz said, running upstairs. I want to show you something secret. Fritz's secret. Was it really going to be that easy? Was Fritz going to take me right to the rest of the plans for Project 1065? He brought one of the pages to school to show me before he ever really knew me. Maybe now he was going to show me the rest. I kept my eyes on the top of the stairs as I followed him, making sure not to look down. Watching us from the railing up above was Fritz's little sister, Lena. Watching me, I should say. Her big, wide eyes followed me all the way up the stairs. When I made the turn to follow Fritz back down the hall, I looked over my shoulder. She was still staring at me, expressionless, with those big saucer-like eyes. Fritz, your sister really is super creepy. Fritz shrugged like he was used to it. I followed Fritz into his room. It was fairly spartan, with a small gray bed, a wooden desk and chair, and an old brown bureau against the wall. Drawings of airplanes were pinned to the wall. Unfortunately, they weren't the jet fighter plans, just pictures of propeller planes shooting dotted lines at tanks on the ground. Fritz went straight to his closet and pulled out a small wooden crate from the back. I frowned. If these were the secret jet fighter plans, this was an awfully strange place to hide them. Fritz hesitated, looking at me one last time as though making sure I could be trusted and lifted the lid. Inside were stacks of sheet music, like you'd use to play a piano. I frowned. Then Fritz pulled away the music sheets and revealed what was hidden underneath. Mystery novels. British and American mystery novels. My disappointment at not finding the plans right away was quickly replaced by my amazement at seeing the treasure trove of books. Detective books, I said. So that's where you were getting all those English words. And that's why you couldn't burn those books at a bonfire. Fritz relaxed visibly. You like them too? I thought you might being English. 
Irish, I said. But yeah, I just read the Maltese Falcon. My friend sat... I caught myself, horrified that I'd almost said Simon's name. Almost told Fritz that the British Jewish pilot hiding in my house had introduced me to detective novels. But Fritz had just trusted me with his deep, dark secret. A secret that could get him and his family shipped off to a concentration camp. Did that mean I could trust him, too? A friend back in Ireland got me hooked, I said instead. I still couldn't do it. Once you got in the habit of keeping secrets, it was hard to stop. We spent a happy hour on the floor poring over the novels and talking about our favorite scenes. We promised to swap books from our collections, but of course we had to keep the whole thing hidden from sight. Fritz's collection was a big secret, but not the one I'd been hoping to discover in this house. I still had to find the plans for Project 1065. Would I find them in time to get them to the Allies to counter the Nazi jet fighters before they turn the tide of the war? I would just have to come back to Fritz's house as often as I could and find some excuse to go snooping around. Fritz's mother called him and Lena to dinner, and Fritz walked me to the door. I was pulling on my coat when I saw a messy room through a half-closed doorway off the downstairs hallway. A large desk was covered with stacks of papers and slide rules, and a drafting table stood nearby covered with larger sheets of white paper. Oh, that's my dad's study, Fritz said. He stepped inside and I followed. All over the walls, pinned up around and on top of one another, were a dozen sheets of big blue paper with engineering schematics drawn on them. It's a jet plane he's working on, Fritz said. The one I showed you before. He put his arms out like airplane wings and zoomed around the room. I blinked stupidly. I think my mouth hung open. There they were, out there for anyone to see, plain as day. The blueprints for Project 1065. I wouldn't have to go snooping for them after all. There were too many to memorize all in one day, and Fritz's mother wouldn't exactly let me sit in here and stare at them while they had dinner. But I would be back tomorrow after school, and the day after that, and the day after that, and the day after that, for as long as it took. The plans for Project 1065 were mine. Kim's Game Every day after school, I went home with Fritz, and every day before I left, I popped into his father's study to memorize another part of the blueprints. And his father's never there, working on the designs? Simon asked me one day as I sat with him in his little closet, adding words and numbers I'd memorized to the blueprints we were reconstructing. Ma had brought us big sheets of butcher paper from the store to write on. Some of them still smelled of raw meat. His mother and father are always gone, I told Simon. Everybody's mother and father are always gone. There's a joke in Germany about how dad's in the army, mom's in the Nazis' women's league, the son's in the Hitler youth, and a daughter is in the Bund Deutsche Mädel, and they only get to see each other once a year at the Nazi party rally. Not very funny, Simon said. But true, I told him. In Fritz's case, just substitute his father working for the Air Force instead of the German army. I'm still gobsmacked that you got in there and found the plans, Michael. It's an incredible piece of spycraft. Simon squinted at my terrible handwriting. What's this word here? Schweibel? It, um, it's the name of the plane. But what does it mean? Simon asked. I held my breath. I hated to tell him. It means swallow, I told him. Like the bird. The Messerschmitt ME-262 swallow. Swallows looked just like Swift's. Ah, he said. And I could see he was back on that rooftop when he was a boy, caught up in a tornado of birds. Have you figured out how you're going to escape from Germany? I asked, trying to distract him. Your mother's been working on it. Apparently, it involves a number of different modes of transportation and many days of travel under cover of darkness. 
There may even be trench coats and false mustaches. But at the rate you're going with these blueprints, we'll be ready before she is. You have a fine memory, Michael. Have you ever tried to hone it? Practiced getting better at remembering things? I shrugged. I never needed to. Your memory can always improve, Simon told me. Have you gotten to the point in Kim where he meets Lurgan Sahib, the gem trader? I hadn't. With all my Hitler youth training and all the evenings spent in here with him transcribing the plans for the swallow, I hadn't had as much time for reading. Slip out to your father's study and bring me a handful of random little things. An eraser, a paperclip, a coin, things like that. As many as you can find. The door to Da's study was locked, but I still used the little hidden peephole in the shelf to have a look around first. Nothing. I breathed a sigh of relief. The staff weren't supposed to be able to get in, but if one of them was a spy, they could find a way. When I returned with my modest loot, Simon took the items from me and arranged a few of them unseen underneath his handkerchief. This is called Kim's Game, for the game he plays with Lurgan Sahib. Simon pulled the handkerchief away, revealing some of the objects I'd gathered for him. Study them for as long as you like, he told me. Pick them up, handle them if you want. But when you're finished, I'm going to put this handkerchief back over them, and you have to tell me all about them. I took a few seconds to memorize what I saw, and then I told Simon I was ready. He had me tell him which objects I had seen, and I was able to rattle them off without any problem. And what did the eraser say on it? He asked me. What? There was a word on the eraser, Simon told me. Or part of one, at least. Some of it's been rubbed off. What was it? I stared at the shelves of books behind Simon, trying to remember, but I couldn't. I'd seen it, but I hadn't really seen it. Do you understand now? Simon said. You remembered what the items were without any problem. But you didn't remember everything about them. But you can, and you will, if you train yourself to remember. Do you want to try again? I did. Surrender or die. Hey, Remember that kid in line ahead of us at the initiation test who got sent home because his parents weren't good Nazis? Fritz asked me. There he is. We stood at the end of a cobblestone street with other members of the SRD, ready at last to take on our first assignment for the Hitler Youth Patrol Force. The boy Fritz was talking about stood a little ways off from us, wearing a brand new SRD uniform just like ours. I frowned. Didn't he get kicked out? I said. What's he doing here, wearing that uniform? His name's Karl. You didn't hear? He made it into the Hitler Youth after all by turning in his parents to the Gestapo. I shook my head. People were always spying on one another and ratting on each other to the secret police, especially if there was some reason they didn't like them. Someone cuts in front of you in the food ration line? Tell the Gestapo you overheard them complaining about Hitler. Your boss at work gave you a bad review? Tell the Gestapo he's been stealing office supplies. Your neighbor's dog digs holes in your flower bed? Tell the Gestapo your neighbor is hiding a Jew. Turning in your neighbor was the German national pastime. But to denounce your own parents? I shuddered at the thought. If you were denounced for a real reason, it was as good as a death sentence. They took him into protective custody, Fritz whispered. Code for being arrested and sent to a concentration camp. And Carl got an automatic promotion to the SRD. But of course, if you were a cold-hearted weasel who would turn in your parents to get a promotion, you belonged in the SRD. I could see that the other SRD boys were giving him plenty of space, but I didn't know if it was out of respect or out of fear. SRD? To me! A man in an SS uniform called, and with a start, I realized it was SS Übersturmführer Trumbauer, the Gestapo man who told the story at dinner about the boy who turned in his parents for harboring a Jew. 
the SS officer who had almost caught me talking with Simon that night at the embassy. Apparently, ratting out your parents to the Gestapo was a great way to get on his good side. The rest of you, line up, he called. This must be something important for an adult to be here with us, I thought. SS Oberstumführer Trumbauer caught sight of me. He came over and tapped his riding crop against the silver gorget I wore on my blue SRD uniform. Michael O'Shaughnessy, I see you chose the SRD, he said, and my skin crawled. Very impressive. Beside me, Fritz straightened as though he'd gotten the compliment. SS Oberstumführer Trumbauer turned his attention to the other boys the ones wearing the plain black and brown uniforms of the regular Hitler Youth. You regular Hitler Youth are here today because we need extra manpower. Members of the Edelweiss Pirates are known to frequent the pool hall at the end of the street, and today we are going to raid it. An electric current rippled through the collected boys. Fritz and I turned to stare at each other in surprise. Our first action as SRD, and we were going on a raid. Fritz was excited. I was worried. How can I pretend to be enthusiastic but not hurt anyone? I need a volunteer to lead the first wave of the attack, our leader said. He eyed me, but there was no way I was going to be fool enough to be the first person through that door, wearing an SRD uniform, no less. Then, to my surprise... Fritz's hand shot up. SS Obersturmführer Trumbauer raised his eyebrows. And what is your name, young man? Fritz Brenner, sir. Very good, Fritz Brenner, SS Obersturmführer Trumbauer said. The SS Obersturmführer gave me a disappointed look and began to separate the regular Hitler Youth boys into small groups and assign them to SRD boys. I shot Fritz a glance like... Are you crazy? But he was too excited to notice. I could see that wild look in his eyes again. Could see him breathing faster. He barked out an order to his troops, and they ran off down the street toward the pool hall. The rest of us followed on their heels. Don't hurt any of them, I told my boys. We do this the easy way. We are just here to take them into protective custody with as little trouble as possible. It was a joke, because protective custody meant they were anything but safe. But I didn't want any of the pirates' blood on my hands, especially when I secretly agreed with them. We took up positions outside the pool hall. I thought SS Obersturmführer Trumbauer was going to give us instructions, coordinate things, but Fritz yelled, This is an SRD raid! and shot through the front door of the pool hall with all the subtlety of a bazooka. Surrender or die, Edelweiss pigs, he screamed. So much for the easy way. I shook my head and waved my troops inside. Quex. The pool hall erupted into an uproar of shouts, screams, shattering glass, and breaking wood. It was almost over by the time I got inside with my troops. The place was a wreck. Broken bottles, snapped pool cues, and bloodied patrons everywhere. Fritz was overseeing the arrest of a group of boys and girls just a few years older than we were, while the other Hitler youth thugs were doing their best to punish the kids they'd captured before turning them over to the Gestapo. I saw one of the Hitler youth boys using a broken chair leg to beat the limp form of a boy who was slumped unconscious over one of the pool tables, and I grabbed Fritz by the shoulder to show him. Horst! Fritz cried, and I realized to my surprise that's who was doing the beating. Donkey-faced Horst, our former Jungfolk leader, the boy who'd made Fritz fight me during the initiation test. Fritz marched over to Horst, and Horst froze. There was actually a look of fear in his eyes. Fear of Fritz. Everyone had acted weird around Fritz and me after our boxing match. But Horst couldn't really be afraid of Fritz, could he? Then I realized he wasn't afraid of Fritz. He was afraid of the uniform. 
We were SRD now, Junior Gestapo. These uniforms and these silly silver gorgets carried the power to send Horst to a concentration camp. Horst took a step back and lowered the chair leg. Fritz stared at him, and I saw a bead of sweat run from Horst's hairline down to his chin. Carry on, Fritz said at last. Horst blinked and then smiled his horsey smile. He raised the chair leg to hit the prone boy again. No, don't, I said. Take him into protective custody. Horst frowned at me, but he obeyed me. I wore an SRD uniform, too. He tossed the chair leg away and hauled the boy outside to the waiting truck. You're too soft, Fritz told me. Fritz, we don't even know if that boy is a pirate or not. He's in a pool hall smoking cigarettes and listening to American music during the day instead of participating in the Hitler Youth. That's crime enough. I wanted to remind him that he had a box of American books at home, but SS Übersturmführer Trumbauer appeared beside us, and I clammed up. You were so quick to volunteer, he told Fritz, and so quick into the fray. We should call you Quicks. Quex was shorthand for the German word for quicksilver. To call someone Quex meant they were quick. But there was much more to the nickname than just speed. That was the nickname of Herbert Norkus, the boy whose blood was supposedly soaked into the blood banner we'd taken our oath on. To call Fritz Quex was like comparing him to one of the most famous Hitler youth ever, a fact that wasn't lost on Fritz. I don't know how it was possible. But Fritz looked about three inches taller right then. I'm putting together a special team, Brenna, SS Übersturmführer Trumbauer told Fritz. And I think you would be a perfect fit. Report to me tomorrow instead of going to your regular SRD duties. Yes, sir. Heil Hitler, Fritz cried, giving Trumbauer an enthusiastic Nazi salute. I fought hard not to show my disgust. Nice job, Quicks, the SRD boys told Fritz as they filed out. Surrender or die. Good one, Quicks. Did you hear that? Fritz asked me as we walked out together. The SS Übersturmführer wants me for a special team. He called me Quicks. Yeah, um, Fritz. Didn't Herbert Nurkis die young? I reminded him. He died a hero, Fritz said. Missing my point entirely. Kurumuro. The Edelweiss pirates were quiet for the next few days. But one morning as I walked to school, I saw that more graffitied Edelweiss had bloomed among the red, white, and black Nazi flags on the bombed-out walls of Berlin. The Hitler Youth had won a battle against the Edelweiss pirates. But the war against them wasn't over. Neither was the real war. It was late February, the hardest part of the winter, and Germany was now fighting on three fronts, east, west, and south, and none was going well. Rationing was tight, new winter clothes were scarce, and four inches of snow had fallen on the city overnight. It was like even nature was against the Nazis. The Fuhrer weather had definitely run out. But no one said so, of course. No one said much of anything. They kept their collars turned up and their hats down and their scarves wrapped tight around their faces, hiding from each other as they passed on the street. But people still knew to cross the street before they walked past me. It was the uniform. No one wanted to be caught doing the wrong thing, and no one was ever really sure what the wrong thing might be. I climbed the steps to Fritz's house and knocked on the door, stamping my feet to try to keep them warm. The door finally opened, but it wasn't Fritz. It was his little sister, Lena. She was dressed in her BDM uniform and ready for school. Is Fritz home? I asked. Lena just stared at me. Can I come in? It's cold out here. Lena closed the door on me. My breath came out in a gray cloud as I huffed. For days now, I hadn't been able to catch Fritz at home. 
which meant I'd gone days without a glimpse at the blueprints for Project 1065. All I needed was a few more minutes with the last page, and I'd have them all. But whatever special SRD team Trumbauer had put Fritz on was eating up all his free time. The door opened again, and Lena was dressed in her winter coat and carrying her rucksack. No, Fritz? I asked. Lena shut the door behind her and locked it, then turned and waited. Do you ever speak? I asked her. Lena just stared at me. I threw up my hands. Okay, let's go, I told her. It's too cold to talk anyway. We walked to school in silence. I dropped Lena off at her classroom and went to mine. Fritz wasn't there either. Where was he? What was he up to? I reached into my rucksack and took out the essay we'd been assigned the day before. Ten ways to have fun doing more with less. I walked over and put it in the growing stack of Herr Professor Dr. Major Melcher's desk. His desk was what the Germans would call a kudelmudel. It means a mess, chaos, disorganization. Herr Professor Dr. Major Melcher's desk looked as if he'd taken his top drawer and overturned it on the surface. It was covered in paper clips and pencils and rubber bands and scribbled notes. The items reminded me of the game I'd been playing with Simon every night, Kim's game. I took a moment before Herr Professor Dr. Major Melcher got there to practice it again. I studied each item on the desk in turn, trying to memorize everything about it. Not just what was there, but what position it was in, what its meaning might be. The pencils were all chewed at the top. Herr Professor Dr. Major Melcher was nervous about something, and if anything was written on them. One of the little slips of paper buried in the kudelmudel on his desk said, Regret to inform you your but I couldn't read the rest. I gave a German look to see if anybody was watching. They weren't. I pulled the paper out and read it, and all at once I understood why Herr Professor Dr. Major Melcher had stopped hiding how much he hated the Nazis. The Wolf Pack the paper on Melcher's desk was a telegram from the Nazi High Command. It was dated several weeks ago, just after the German defeat at Stalingrad. Under Herr Professor Dr. Major Melcher's name and home address, it said, Regret to inform you your son, Unteroffizier Jürgen Melcher, killed in glorious service to Fatherland on 1st February during strategic withdrawal of forces from Stalingrad. Heil Hitler. So that explained it. Why Herr Professor Dr. Major Melcher had been so angry these past weeks. Why he'd been letting his doubts about Hitler and the war creep into his lessons. His son had died at Stalingrad. Strategic withdrawal. Huh. Just like protective custody, strategic withdrawal was code. It meant we ran away like cowards. Sergeant Jürgen Melcher had died running from the Russians with the 6th Army the day before the rest of his comrades just gave up and surrendered. Fritz finally showed up for class, talking and laughing with another SRD boy named Max. I called Fritz over. Take a look. I found something that explains why Herr Professor Dr. Major Melcher has been so touchy lately. He's been touchy because he's a doddering old man who serves no purpose to the war effort, Fritz said. I recoiled a bit from the strength of Fritz's reaction. He'd never been so hateful before. We have no use for these clever monks in their quiet cells, Max said, spouting overblown propaganda from our weekly meetings. The future will not be one with the essays and tests. It will be one with fists and steel. Fritz nodded in sour agreement. No, listen, I tried to tell them. But Herr Professor Dr. Major Melcher walked in just then. I dropped the telegram and hurried away to my desk. Sit down and shut up, you brats, Melcher said. Fritz slid into the seat beside mine. Ever since we'd put on the SRD uniforms, no one had tried to make him sit elsewhere. 
He sat ramrod straight, eyes forward. He didn't seem to want to talk to me at all these days, and less than a month ago, he'd been following me around like a puppy. Fritz, what have you been up to these past few days? I whispered. You're never at home in the mornings or after school, and you don't come to the Hitler Youth Meetings anymore. What is this special team Trumpauer put you on? It's, uh, a science team, Fritz said. In the desk behind Fritz, Max snickered like he was in on the joke. And science team had to be a joke. The only science Hitler Youth ever learned was how to tell a Jew from an Aryan and how to calculate the money wasted taking care of mentally handicapped people. I waited for Fritz to tell me the truth, but that appeared to be all he was going to say about it. I smoldered. What was up with Fritz all of a sudden? It was as though we suddenly weren't friends anymore. Herr Professor Dr. Major Melcher walked up and down the rows of desks, handing back graded papers. He put one on Fritz's desk. Fritz reached down slowly and flicked it away. The paper fluttered off his desk and landed on the floor at Herr Professor Dr. Major Melcher's feet. Pick that up at once, Melcher said. No, said Fritz. You pick it up. The room got deathly quiet, and a cold pit opened up in my stomach. Fritz didn't know what had happened to Melcher's son. He was going to push him too far. Herr Professor Dr. Major Melcher's face reddened. I will do no such thing. Pick that paper up at once, young man, or I will mark this incident down in your Nazi party record book. Fritz slowly got up from his desk. The entire room was silent, watching. No, Fritz said again. His voice was cool, collected. The direct opposite of Herr Professor Dr. Major Melcher's nervous spluttering. I told you once to pick it up, Fritz said. I won't tell you again. I couldn't believe Fritz. What was he doing? Herr Professor Dr. Major Melcher shook like he was about to explode. He raised a hand to give Fritz a sharp blow with the back of his hand, but suddenly Max stood up behind Fritz. Then the other two SRD boys in the room. The junior Gestapo, all staring with cold, dead eyes at Herr Professor Dr. Major Melcher. Melcher stood frozen, hand still raised, eyes bulging in a mix of indignation and horror. Fritz glanced at me. I was the only SRD boy not standing, not challenging Melcher. I stood up. I had to. I couldn't sit while the other SRD boys stood. Otherwise, I ran the risk of blowing my cover. Herr Professor Dr. Major Melcher's bushy eyebrows knitted together in anger, and he opened his mouth to say something. But what we heard instead was the howl of the air raid siren. The Americans were at it again. We had to get to the shelters. Fritz stepped away from his desk, deliberately walking, not running, past Herr Professor Dr. Major Melcher to the door. The other Hitler Youth boys did the same, filing past him in a silent procession of unexpressed violence. Melcher stood rooted to the spot, looking suddenly much more frail and old than his actual years. I let out the breath I didn't know I'd been holding and ran to my air raid station. Whatever it was Fritz was doing before and after school for the SRD with Max, it was changing him. He was harder now, colder, meaner. He never would have talked back to Herr Professor Doctor Major Melcher like that before, and he never would have lied to me. And if Fritz wasn't going to tell me the truth about what he was doing for SS Übersturmführer Trumbauer, I was just going to have to find out on my own. One day. You haven't been able to get back into Fritz's house? Ma asked. We all sat together later that night in Da's study. Me, my parents, and Simon. The servants had been sent home for the night, but even so, the study door was locked and the radio was on in the background in case anyone outside stopped to listen in. It was playing a speech by Joseph Goebbels, the Nazi propaganda minister. 
No, I said wearily. I had gotten up before dawn, been to school, worked through two air raids, gone on SRD patrol, and come home after dark. I was beat. He's been put on some special team by SS Obersturmführer Trumbauer. They're up to something. I just don't know what. I told them all about Fritz's absences and his reference to the science team. I agree, it's not a science team, Da said. Definitely suspicious. They're obviously up to no good, Simon said. London will be very interested to hear all about it, I'm sure. Whatever it is. Something to keep investigating after I'm gone. After you're gone, I said. The plan had always been to get Simon out of Berlin, back to England. But the way he'd said it, like he already knew he was leaving, and soon. I looked back and forth between him and my mother. It's all set, Michael, Ma said. He leaves tomorrow night. Tomorrow night? My heart leaped into my throat. For as hard as I'd worked to steal jet fighter plans and send them back to England with Simon, I realized suddenly that I didn't really want him to go. But Project 1065, the jet fighter plans, were not finished. I said lamely, looking for any excuse I could to keep him here. Yes, I had painstakingly memorized and redrawn 11 pages of schematics with Simon over the last couple of weeks. But there was still one page left to memorize. One page that had no pictures, but was full of math. And math was to engineers what violence was to the Nazis. It was their lifeblood. What made everything possible. We needed that last page. Simon smiled regretfully. I suppose if you can't set eyes on it by tomorrow night, we'll have to do without and hope the rest is enough for the RAF's engineers to understand. But I've just got to get home, Michael. I saw at once how selfish I was being. How much Simon hated being cooped up in that little closet all day. Never getting outside. Never seeing the sun. Away from his friends and family. Away from Mary. Constantly in danger of being discovered and killed. Or worse. Simon was leaving tomorrow night, whether I liked it or not. And none too soon, Ma said. We've got something else to worry about. A coded message we intercepted, Da said. About an assassination the Nazis are planning. What? When? Against whom? Simon asked. We don't know, said Ma. We only just saw a reference to it. I've asked the wife of the Gestapo chief out to lunch tomorrow, hoping to pick something up from her. She likes to talk when she's had a few glasses of wine. And I'm meeting for an interview tomorrow with a reporter I know from the Fergister Biobachter, the Nazi newspaper, Da said. Sometimes I'm able to exchange information with him. Off the record, of course. But the long and short of it, Michael, is that we need Simon to move on so we can move on, Ma said. We've got to get back to the mission, find out whatever we can about this assassination, and try to warn London before it happens. I nodded. I had one day to get inside Fritz's house and see the last page of Project 1065. One day before Simon was gone from Berlin for good. The Old Relic I went straight to Fritz's house early the next morning, hoping to catch him before he left for whatever the science team was, but he was already gone. I had to get inside that house before the end of the day. Silent, bug-eyed Lena was there, of course. And with a sigh, I walked her to school again. I found Fritz after I dropped his sister off at her classroom. He stood outside our school building, huddled together with Max and a dozen more SRD boys, some of whom weren't even in our class. I felt my breathing quicken. Something was up. Michael, there you are, Fritz said. Where have you been? Walking your sister to school, I said, a little testily. Where have you been? Rounding up the boys, Fritz said, indicating the other SRD boys with a nod. His eyes were alive with mischief, the way they had been before the raid on the Edelweiss pirates. They're going to get rid of that old relic once and for all. What old relic? Melcher, Fritz said. I brought the whole SRD in on it. 
Was this what Fritz and Max had been disappearing to work on all this time? Some plan to get rid of Herr Professor Dr. Major Melcher? Listen, Melcher's been a jerk lately, but he's been through a lot, I told him. His son died at Stalingrad. I saw the telegram. Everybody lost somebody at Stalingrad, Fritz said. Really? I said, suddenly angry. Did you? I knew he hadn't. Did you, Max? It's the ultimate honor to die for the Fuhrer, Max said. More bleeding propaganda. It was all that ever came out of Max's mouth. Fritz nodded. The old man should be proud his son died for Hitler. Not go soft. He's a defeatist. Germany can't win with people like him around. I huffed. This was stupid. Melcher is a patriot. Herr Professor Dr. Major Melcher, remember? He fought for Germany in the Great War. The old Germany, Fritz said. He wouldn't be swayed. Is he in there? He asked. Yes, Quex, one of the boys said. Fritz's new nickname had caught on fast. Then let's go. Fritz charged inside. I didn't even have time to warn Herr Professor Dr. Major Melcher. He was sitting at his desk, his head in his hands, when the SRD blitzed in like the Third Army invading Poland. Seize him, Fritz ordered, and half a dozen boys jumped the old man. They pulled at his coat, his shirt, his tie, ripping his clothes and sending him crashing to the ground. Melcher cried out, but that only seemed to energize them more. They were like wild dogs, ripping and tearing at a piece of raw meat. They kicked him and punched him and tried to pull him apart by the arms and legs. Don't hurt him, I cried, but no one was listening to me. I felt the same urge to defend my teacher that I'd felt for Fritz all those weeks ago during the book burning. I tried to fight my way into the wolf pack, but there were too many of them, and it wasn't even all of them. The rest of the boys overturned desks, threw papers in the air, smashed the windows. The other students stood at the edges of the room and cheered them on. I backed away against the door jamb, horrified by the abrupt violence, the animal cruelty. There was nothing I could do, not by myself, but that didn't mean I couldn't call for help. I ran outside to a police box and called in an emergency. It was all I could do. The city police weren't the Gestapo. They could stop this madness, arrest the boys for attacking Melcher and destroying the school, but only if they got here in time. If they didn't, the SRD boys were going to kill him. A wee iron coffin. Two police officers arrived by car just as the boys were dragging Herr Professor Dr. Major Melcher out of the school. I sagged with relief. I'd saved him. But when the police saw the attackers were SRD boys, they pulled up short. This man is a defeatist, Fritz announced to the police officers. We are taking him to the Gestapo. The police backed off and let the boys drag Melcher away down the street. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. The police were adults. Didn't they see what was happening here? Wasn't somebody going to make the children behave? Not today. The police were scared. You could see it in the looks they gave each other. Nervous glances that said, If we do or say anything, they'll come for us next. Idiots! Didn't anybody realize this was how Nazi Germany had gotten to be this way in the first place? I was about to say something. Stand up to the SRD bullies. Tell the police about Melcher's son. Tell them how Fritz and the other boys were wrong. Break this spell of silence. But then I caught myself. If I said something, I might save Melcher's life. But I would ruin everything else Simon and my parents and I had worked for. All our plans to smuggle Simon out with the blueprints. Even if Fritz didn't get me kicked out of the SRD, he would never invite me inside his house ever again. I would never get the last page of the jet plans. Germany would win the war, crush the Allies, conquer the world. And what would I have done besides save Herr Professor Dr. Major Melcher's life? Again, I saw myself four years ago, on the night of broken glass. But now I saw it through new eyes.
the eyes of my parents, saw the awful trade. One man's life against the fate of the entire world. My heart ached, as if it were slowly eating me up from inside. Sometimes we have to sacrifice good people to win a war, Simon had told me. Sometimes you do what you have to do, even if doing it means doing something wrong. Melcher's watery, desperate eyes found mine, and in that moment I knew. I knew that deep down he really hated the Nazis, and that he'd been faking his loyalty to them all this time, and that he knew I had been too. Melcher's eyes begged me to say something, to speak up for him, to save him. Instead, I said nothing. I locked my heart away in a wee iron coffin and swallowed the key. It burned going down, and tears stung my eyes, but still I said nothing. Herr Professor Dr. Major Melcher closed his eyes and wept, but he didn't give me away. He understood, because to his own shame, he'd been silent too. I followed the boys to Gestapo headquarters, where they dumped the broken, blubbering body of Herr Professor Dr. Major Melcher on the floor in front of the SS officer on duty. This man has forsaken the fjord and is undermining our will to fight, Fritz told him. How Fritz, the youngest and smallest of them, had become the de facto leader of the group, I didn't know. A concentration camp is too good for him, Max cried. Put our rifle in his hands and send him to the eastern front, Fritz said. Maybe then he'll appreciate what he did to sabotage support for our soldiers while he was safe and warm in Berlin. There was indignant nods of agreement all around. The SS officer called for men to come and take Herr Professor Dr. Major Melcher away. We'll take care of him, the SS man said. My heart banged against the door of the little box where I'd locked it away, but I didn't let it out. Nobody deserved what was about to happen to Melcher, but I couldn't stop it. Not if I wanted to get the jet plans. But I died inside a little, too. You won't be needing a teacher any longer, anyhow, the SS officer said. And suddenly he had everyone's attention. You won't have time for it. All Luftwaffe ground specialists have been redeployed to active fighting, which means more duties will fall to the Hitler youth here at home. From now on, you boys will be manning the anti-aircraft guns during air raids. One last time. We had our first training on the giant anti-aircraft guns that day on a training field just outside the city. School was officially out for every boy old enough to fight. Forever. I should have been happy about that. It had to mean the Nazis were losing, desperate. Or I should have been excited like the rest of the boys to get to fire the enormous house-sized gun. But all I could think about was the jet fighter plans in Fritz's house, and the clock ticking away the hours and minutes until Simon escaped from Berlin. I had to get into Fritz's house by the end of the day. I kept trying to catch Fritz, to casually mention getting together this afternoon at his house to read detective novels, but I never had the chance. He had a new group of friends now, and he didn't have time for me. When they loaded us up to take us back to the city at the end of the day, I couldn't even get on the same truck as Fritz. There wasn't any room around him. I lost Fritz in the kudelmoodle of boys climbing out of trucks. Had he gone straight to whatever the science team was? Or had that special team really been about Melcher? Was it over? Had Fritz gone home? I huffed, my breath spewing like a dragon as I sprinted the ten blocks to his house. Lena answered the door, her big eyes staring at me. Is, is Fritz home? I said, panting from the run. Lena stared at me. Lena, is Fritz home? Lena shook her head. She started to shut the door, but I was done waiting around for Fritz. I didn't have time. I stuck my foot in the door. Can I come in and wait for him? I asked Lena. She was probably the only one home. Lena stared at me for a few more seconds, then opened the door to me. Yes, I almost cried for joy. I was in. 
A quick glance at the blueprints one last time, and then I never had to come here again. Lena closed the door behind me, and I waited in the hall. Lena stood watching me. You can go do whatever it was you were doing, I told her. She kept staring at me like she always did. Seriously, go. Get, I told her, as if she was some annoying puppy. At last, she turned and went upstairs. I shook my head as I stepped inside Fritz's father's study. Crazy girl, I thought, and then I suddenly pulled up short, my breath catching in my throat. All the blueprints were gone from the walls. Lucky Mushroom No, 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 no. I was so close to being finished. I just needed a few more minutes with the last page of the blueprints. I spun in the office, hoping Fritz's father had just taken them down and they were still stacked up somewhere. But the place was as much of a kudamoodle as Herr Professor Dr. Major Melcher's desk. I didn't see them anywhere. My heart burst out of that wee iron coffin and thumped against my chest as I clawed through the piles of paper around the room. Up until now, I'd been a glückspilz, a weird German expression that meant lucky mushroom, which I guess is no weirder than saying I was a lucky duck, but it still sounded funny. I'd met the one kid in all of Berlin who could give me access to top-secret Nazi jet fighter plans, and he and I had become friends, helping each other pass our Hitler youth tests and reading forbidden detective novels together, while day by day, I snuck secret looks at the blueprints for Project 1065. But suddenly, I'd gone from being a Glückspilz to a Pechfugel, a bad luck bird. I kept digging through the stacks of papers in Fritz's father's office, worried that any moment I was going to hear the front door open and Fritz or his father or his mother would catch me. Stop, I told myself. Calm down. What would Simon do? I suddenly remembered Kim's game. Fritz's father's office was one giant Kim's game, one I'd been looking at for weeks now. The key wasn't to dig through all the stacks of paper I'd seen there before. I needed to see what was different now, what was new. I turned around slowly, scanning every inch of the room. And that's when I saw it. A thick accordion folder tied up with string by the door, addressed to be mailed. I snatched it up and took it to Fritz's father's desk. I held my breath as I untied the string, opened it, lifted the flap, Saw folded blue papers peeking back at me from inside. Yes, I almost jumped and yelled for joy. From lucky mushroom to bad luck bird and back again. I was tempted to run away with the packet, take the whole thing to Simon, and send him on his way with it. But that was greedy and foolish. I had already transcribed almost all the plans. Stealing the whole packet now was pointless and would just let Fritz's father know that their plans had been compromised. I had to memorize the last page and put everything back exactly how I'd found it. I flipped through the blueprints, found the one I needed, and unfolded it on the desk. I was about to start memorizing the math on it when I got that weird feeling you get when you know someone's watching you. I looked up and saw Lena in the doorway, staring right at me. Having babies for Hitler. My heart caught in my throat. I was busted. Glückspilz to Peschvogel to Glückspilz to Peschvogel. There was no telling how long Lena had been standing there staring at me. But long enough, I was sure, to have seen me open up one of her father's personal packages and pull out a blueprint. Should I grab the last page and run? Try to bluff my way out of it? Leave and hope she never told her parents or brother? But if Fritz's father was about to mail the plans away, this was my last chance to see them, and maybe the last chance the Allies had to intercept them before they were used to build a working jet fighter that would change the world forever. I didn't know what to do. I was as paralyzed as if I was standing on top of that ladder over the pool again. You and I can get married, Lena said. 
My mouth hung open. On the list of things I thought Lena might say to me in that moment, you and I can get married was right below, I'm an alien from outer space. I was 13 years old. She was 10 years old. Why in the world would either of us be thinking about getting married? Um, okay, I said. At first, I thought you might not be Aryan, and then we couldn't get married, Lena said. It was more words than she had spoken to me in the entire month I'd known her. But I asked at the BDM meeting, English is Aryan too. Not as good as Nordic, but okay. I'm Irish, I told her. She nodded as though there wasn't any difference. After I graduate from the BDM and you graduate from the Hitler Youth, we can get married and have lots of babies for Hitler. Whoa, 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 I told her. I wasn't having lots of babies with anybody or for anybody, especially not Hitler. This girl had our whole future planned out and we barely had a single conversation. I was about to argue with her, but I realized it didn't really matter. All that mattered was getting out of here with the plans. Listen, it sounds like you've got it all figured out, I told her. But like you said, we can't do anything until we graduate from the Hitler Youth and the Bund Deutscher Mädel. And then I'll be in the army and you'll be in the Nazi Women's League or working in a factory somewhere. We can get married in between, Lena said. Then I can send cigarettes and treats to you at the front lines. And you can write me letters back telling me how much you miss me. I gawked at her. She really had thought this all out. Right. Okay. Good plan, I said. I had to get this over with. So we'll just... We'll just wait until we graduate... And then we'll get married and start having lots of babies for Hitler. Okay, she said, and she turned and left the room. I slumped down onto the desk, my face turning red with embarrassment. Lena had been weird all this time because she had a crush on me. This was the last thing I needed to deal with right now. But maybe it was just what I needed. As long as Lena thought we were getting married, she wouldn't be telling on me to her family. I memorized the last page, put the plans back where I found them, and hurried out of the house. I wanted to get out of there before Lena came back to tell me where we'd be going on our honeymoon. The Game I didn't tell Simon about my conversation with Lena. We wouldn't have gotten any work done. He'd be laughing so hard. Instead, we spent what time he had left drawing up the last page of the jet fighter plans from my memory. And then we were done. There was no more... This is a swell piece of work, Michael, Simon told me, apparently not feeling any of the ache I was feeling at his imminent departure. He bundled up the pages we had worked on together and tied a leather string around them. It's an incredible coup. I came to take pictures, and I'll be going back with full-blown schematics. They'll be waiting to pin a medal on you when you get back to England. Sad as I was, I liked the thought of that. Michael O'Shaughnessy, decorated Irish spy. My mother and father joined us. I've sent the staff to clean in the silverware, Ma whispered, locking the door to Da's study behind her. That should keep them busy for a time. They have to be suspicious of all our locked-door family meetings, Da said. It'll all be over tonight, Ma said. It's all arranged, she told Simon. She spread a map out on Da's desk. When the nightly air raid comes, and it will as sure as eggs is eggs, you'll wait until 3.45 in the morning, and then make your way to this alleyway here, where Michael will meet you. I will? I asked. It was the first I'd heard of it. Ma nodded. Your da and I can't leave the Iron Age shelter or there'd be questions. You know every inch of this city, Michael, and Simon doesn't. Not only that, your SRD uniform will make most people look the other way. Since you'll already be out and about on your patrols, 
It shouldn't be any problem for you to lead him through the city to his next contact. But I won't be on patrol tonight, I told them. DSRD will be manning the anti-aircraft guns. It was as if I dropped a bomb all my own in my father's study. Ma's mouth opened, but nothing came out. Da's face went ashy white. Good Lord, Michael, Simon whispered. You can't be serious. That's a death sentence, and you're... You're 13-year-old boys. I didn't know what to say. I didn't have any choice in the matter. None of us did. Do you think you can still get away? Ma finally asked. It wouldn't be for all night. Just long enough to get Simon to Friedrichstrasse. I... I think so. Sure. Yes, I said. It made sense that Simon's escape would take place during an air raid. Almost everybody else would be hiding underground or have other things to worry about. I'm sorry, but are we just going to gloss over the fact that Michael is now a target for Allied bombers? Da asked, looking upset. We can't worry about that right now, Ma said. Can't worry about that right now, Da said. Our son might as well be on the front lines fighting for Hitler. It's become too dangerous here for him and for us. Someone else without a family can take my place as ambassador. I started to protest that I could handle it, but Da cut me off with a stern shake of his head. No, it's time for us to go back to Dublin. We have to get Simon out of Berlin first, Ma said, ending the argument for the moment. She pointed to the map. Michael, you'll take him here, to this corner on Friedrichstrasse. That's where you'll hand Simon off to one of my agents. You're to tell the agent, this air raid sounds like the finale to a Wagner opera. To which he will respond, I prefer Beethoven symphonies myself. That's how you'll know he's our man. If he doesn't give you the correct passphrase, move on. I nodded, practicing the words in my head. Where will he take Simon? I asked. It's best you not know that. Ma said. The man you're to meet will be the first of my network to ferry him out of the country, but by no means the last. Just do your part, and the network will see to the rest. God willing, Simon will be back in London by St. Patrick's Day. We'll all raise a pint of Guinness and sing the Irish national anthem in your honor, Simon told us with a wry smile. Now, where are you on this assassination business? Any clue to who they're targeting? We're narrowing it down to a list of targets. An American businessman visiting Portugal. A French resistance fighter in Algiers. A member of the Danish monarchy, Ma said. But it's all speculation at this point. We haven't got a solid shred of evidence one way or another. But Davin and I will do with that. She nodded at my father and then looked back at Simon. The first order of business is getting you out of here. And then, Da said firmly, we will talk about how we get ourselves out of here. X marks the spot. Air raid sirens screamed. Berliners ran for bomb shelters. Giant searchlights clicked on, buzzing as they warmed up. From high in the cloudy night sky, we could hear the low, steady, ominous drone of British airplanes growing closer. And I, along with my SRD troops, stood right in the middle of the street, waiting to shoot them down with an anti-aircraft gun. The anti-aircraft guns weren't just guns. They were cannons. The barrel of the gun was a long, thin, shiny, silver proboscis like a mosquito's nose, sticking out of a stocky jumble of gray hydraulic pistons and levers and gears that could swivel the cannon in any direction and any elevation. The giant mosquito stood on four thin legs that stretched out like an X on the ground beneath it, a perfect target for the bombers overhead. X marks the spot. And if the X wasn't enough, the bombers could target the giant searchlights not three meters from each anti-aircraft emplacement. We were just begging to be bombed. The other boys didn't see it that way. Or if they did, they hit it well. Excitement passed through our little group of a dozen boys like static electricity. 
they were going to be firing real guns in a real war situation. At last, no more childish assignments checking IDs or raiding pool halls or tattling on unenthusiastic Hitler youth. We were going to be doing real fighting. The thooms of exploding British bombs began, and we heard the pock, pock, pock of the AA guns beginning to fire on the far side of the city. Our searchlight swept the sky. Black dots of death rained down, and white streaks of death shot up. The once-a-night aerial fistfight between Great Britain and Nazi Germany. I was one of the boys assigned to run the artillery shells from the storage crate to the gun. Ours was one of the 88s, the cannons that shot enormous 88mm shells that looked like bullets made for a giant's rifle. The shells were two feet long and weighed more than 20 pounds each. The other boys and I had to constantly run back and forth, each of us carrying one in our arms, and hand them off to the boys who fed them into the metal insect's butt. More boys ran the radar machine that helped find the planes in the cloudy skies, and others worked the controls to aim the gun and fire. Fritz and Max were on the team that fired. The booming orange eruptions of flame grew near. A building a few blocks from us exploded, scattering brick and rubble into the street like a farmer casting seeds. We flinched, and I felt a little of the electric excitement fade away, replaced by fear. But then Fritz was screaming, Fire! And our AA gun recoiled with the force of a colossal jackhammer, cracking the pavement as it sent its first shell hurtling into the sky. We all stood and watched even though we'd been trained to reload and fire, reload and fire. In what seemed like slow motion, the tracer round arced high into the clouds and detonated with a distant boom between the hundreds of bomber planes flying by. We hadn't hit a thing. Reload! Reload! Fritz cried, and we fell back onto the routine we'd been trained for. Grab a shell from the crate, Haul it to the gun, load it, aim it, shoot it. Grab a shell from the crate, haul it to the gun, load it, aim it, shoot it. The routine had been easy to follow in the training session in broad daylight, with no planes droning overhead, no bombs whistling as they fell on you. A building across the street detonated suddenly, showering us with wooden splinters and bits of masonry. I ducked and put a hand to my helmet to keep it in place as a piece of metal shrapnel pinged off it. The explosion was so loud my ears rang, and I saw instead of heard Fritz calling for another round. All about us the air was filled with dark black smoke that smelled like gunpowder and ash. I glanced at my watch. 3.15. I had to keep an eye on the time. I had to be at the rendezvous at exactly 3.45 to take Simon across the city to the next agent in Ma's network. I hefted another cartridge and turned to take it to the gun when the other boys erupted in a cheer. I blinked and looked up at the strobing night sky. A bomber plummeted from the clouds, trailing fire and smoke. We had actually shot down a British airplane. Thank you guys for watching, and join us on episode 7 tomorrow.